Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is our special uh, top five uh, end of the year 2014 recap uh, with some conversations of some other stuff. I'm Christopher Schnazy. I'm Carson Patrick. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a film review program. Each week on the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. But uh, as I not so gracefully just said, um, this is our 2014 recap. So instead of doing a normal review like we usually do, uh, we are just talking about the, t- the films of 2014. Uh, we are going to do a more rigid discussion of our top fives, and then we are going to kind of take some time to slowly or quickly go through what would have made our, you know, six through tens if this was a top ten list. So, uh, how you guys doing this evening? Or this morning? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> doing, doing pretty good. That shouldn't be confused, by the way, with a review of top five, which we didn't do. Correct. So. <laughs> yes, I, don't think, I don't think anyone's confused by that. I, I think some people are confused. Okay, well, just to clear it up. Yeah, well, ignore the top five comment, and this is just a 2014 recap. Yep. <laughs> and it's morning, not evening. I think Steven was mostly confused. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're okay, we're good. He's I'm, like, wait, wait I haven't seen the movie yet. <laughs> I'm tired, I was up way too late agonizing over my list. <laughs> oh no. I uh, agonized for a bit, and then uh, I just threw some stuff on the list and was like, this noise, this is not worth agonizing over. Um, Agony! <laughs> I think that was the song in Into the Woods, was it not? It was, yeah, when okay. uh, the princes were singing. Probably, because On I, the waterfall. Yeah, okay, I got you, with, with, with the chest uh, yeah. opening up, uh, not opening up. Ripping I mean, the like, shirt a- open. Alien stuff, but yeah, mm. shirt opening. <laughs> yeah, chest bursters coming out. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, before we get into our top five, why don't we do, uh, you know, what I usually make everybody do, talk a little bit about how they, uh, how they created their list, and, uh, you know, we, we gotta give some justice to the agony that you guys went through to create your list, and then I will talk about how much, how little effort I put into mine. <laughs> so, Carson, why don't you start us off? Ugh, don't, don't reveal behind the scenes. <laughs> um... I, uh, well, I did the same thing as I did last year where I decided to pick, um, movies that, uh, I figured that, we, so basically, so we wouldn't overlap again because there's a tendency to do that. Um, yeah. So, uh, I think last year, um, I like throw, threw in like a bunch of random stuff and like, bent the rules a bunch because i was like well my number two is actually three movies um so i i actually picked five movies there's no like oh hey surprise (laughs) this other movie (laughs) is good too i'm guessing this is all part of your new year's resolution to not not break our systems yeah yeah (laughs) gotta pare it down um but uh yeah no i mostly uh tried to go even uh more obscure <laughs> this time oh boy great because uh yeah <laughs> how can you get to, more obscure than iron man 3 <laughs> just to make everyone <laughs> mad obviously um but no i just tried to be like uh i tried to obviously if i had done like a traditional top five i think that uh uh you know there would be a lot of overlap but i think these five movies that i picked would definitely be on like a top 20 list they just might be somewhere else on the list and it's mostly movies that i 
that we either didn't review or weren't talked about. So, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, Stephen, how'd you make your list? Yeah, so I've been kind of thinking about my list off and on for a long time as people who go to the movies with me can attest every time I see a good one and then start talking about, like, would that make my list? Where would it fit? Um, So numbers like one through three, I think, have been pretty set in stone since the moment I watched them. Um, My rule in general for the top five this year was, like, which of these movies floored me, like, did something completely new. And that meant, kind of unlike Carson, I'm not really using it as a way to champion the little guy. Like, it's basically... Uh, my takeaway from the movie is kind of the only thing that mattered. Uh, And then in like the six through 10, I'll try to throw in more things that are like well thought out, but maybe not like the most groundbreaking stuff. I I will, I I will throw out that uh, because I I saw like a bunch of lists online of, of uh, sites doing like, Oh, like the 10 movies you probably didn't see or underrated movies. And like, to me, they're all movies that were just like, Oh, like I feel like most people would know about those. Yeah, I, I saw a bunch of lists like that, too, and I was surprised. Like, usually when that list comes out, it's stuff that I just didn't have access to. And this time, I feel like, for for the most part, it was either a film that I saw or one that, like, I haven't heard a single peep about. Yeah. Um, so, I, I was kind of, I don't know, happy, I guess, that I saw most of the things people were talking about, but whatever. Yeah, anyway. So, the way I made my... So, I... I, I I've been joking that I put zero thought into this film or this film list, and that's not a hundred percent true because I did agonize over it a little bit. And part of it is just because I don't know, like so when I when I sat down, but before actually sitting down to try to make my list, anytime I'd think, I feel like I had my number one in stone. I had three films that were just going to be in the list because uh, my takeaway walking out of the film. Um, kind of like what Stephen was saying, was just like, oh, that was like an experience that I really loved, I cared about, and you know, maybe the film isn't elevated above other films, possibly, but like when I walked out of the theater, I was like, damn, that was just a good movie, and I personally enjoyed that experience more than most films. So like, it's almost like before I sat down to make my list, I already had a top five, and it was just a matter of what order they went into, and. Uh, so when I sat down to really make a list, I, I kind of just like went through everything we've reviewed, went through like posters that I had in my phone from like, you know, tweets I made and stuff like that. And I kind of just put everything in a spreadsheet that, uh, that actually, I, that, that I actually liked. And then I put a little mark next to all the ones that I thought would, uh, be viable top 10 contenders. And it turned out that, uh, I only had 12, or what I thought was 12, and then I realized that I had a header in my spreadsheet. So when I was looking at column 12, it was actually the 11th film. So I had 11 films to pick my top 10 from. And I sort of, I solidified my number one. I picked something for number five that I just wanted to put because of my visceral reaction to it. And then I just started dropping things into other places. And I guess, you know, I texted you guys last night, and I was like, I just feel like my list is terrible. Not, Not because the films on it are bad, just because it's not like... None of these films really fought for these positions. They sort of just like, they're the films that I like the most this year. And I guess that's what your top five and top 10 are supposed to be. So I can't complain that much. I just feel that there's nothing, like I don't feel like I'm necessarily championing anything. And I think think part of that, I don't know if we want to do any like takeaways of the year, uh, but I do feel like this was kind of a strange year for movies. Like 
like last year my favorites and yours too were largely kind of like intimate indie flicks like mm. her short term 12 before midnight spectacular now yeah king i really like the kings of summer and museum hours and francis ha and like all these kind of little ones and in this movie i feel like i don't know how your list is going to work out for mine the top ones were very much more like like a carson type of list <laughs> where where it's like the movie is extremely good and grips you in but it isn't like like a little guy that you're tender about it's just like wow that that movie kind of blew me away Uh, yeah yeah without like the emotional anchor that last year had it's harder to have that kind of like championing a movie like oh my god i love it so much yeah like it's gonna be like guardians of the galaxy number one amen (laughs) but yeah like there there weren't a lot of quote-unquote chris films this year there was a lot of films that chris loved but there wasn't like these these like deeply chris type films where like even if they were the worst film on the planet i would stand up to my saying they're amazing because i just love them so much there there were more things that i think are universally appealing and that uh are just sort of like they were good and i can't fault them for being good so here they are <laughs> it's so. interesting that steven said that you know it was an interesting year for movies because like there were a lot of different there's a lot of variety i felt like i felt like last year i dubbed it the year of the cocaine movie because we got a lot of like wild and crazy frenetic movies yeah um and a lot of like off kilter movies this year kind of got a little bit of that but it was more like a variety you know we got stuff like guardians of the galaxy big stuff and really small stuff and like good awardsy stuff it was kind of all over the place yeah i mean i I think one thing that unifies almost all my movies which is like the anti-steven anti-chris is that out of my top tens and even most of my like runners up there's only really like one or two that have like a character you empathize through as like the point of the film. <laughs> like almost all of them they're they're telling a crazy story in a variety of ways, but very rarely is it like like a small traditionally like sweet type of movie, which yeah. is what I would normally gravitate towards. I know I I feel pretty much exactly the same way. <laughs> so, should we should we get into it, guys? Yeah. Yes, so this is our top five films of 2014. Carson, why don't you start us off with your number five? Well, my number five pick is my is the number one pick for my girlfriend, but uh, I also really enjoyed this movie, and it's uh, Michelle Gondry's Mood Indigo, which uh, I felt got sort of just lost in the shuffle. Um, but... Uh, I think it's very deserving because I think uh, a lot of people sort of, uh, I guess, poo-pooed Michel Gondry after he did the Green Hornet and were just like, ah, he's lost his way or whatever. (laughs) Um, But uh, I think this is a major return to form. Like, I think, you know, anyone who loved Eternal Sunshine, obviously, who didn't, but um, this isn't that level, but it's, uh, it's, it's very close. It's very magical in that same realm. Um, I'd say it's somewhere between there and like the science of sleep. Um, but I think this movie is a lot better than that. Um, but it, it sort of has that feeling like low key, uh, quirky, charming, but this movie has more of the like punch and, and, uh, freneticism that you'd expect from Michelle Gondry. Uh, cause it's, it's just a very vibrant film, uh, 
and uh, Audrey Tattoo is like the main uh, romantic lead. I don't remember the guy's name, but he's like a big French actor. And uh, Omar Sy from The Untouchables is in it. He's like really charming dude. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting love story. And uh, some of the things that they do throughout the movie, uh, I won't say because like the, it definitely went to places I was not expecting. Um, and a lot of the visual imagery that Gondry uses is really cool. Um, but there's a lot of like very Terry Gilliam-esque uh, stuff in it. Like, I'm sure if you watch a trailer, you can get a glimpse of it. But uh, it's very like, it's very Brazil-ish, but more candy colored. Um, <laughs> All right. Uh, it's 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 really cool movie. I think that uh, uh, it kind of got lost. I think that people who you know, really loved Michelle Gondry's style, like, before he kind of went all mainstream with uh, Green Hornet. And I, I can't, I feel like he did another movie that people were kind of like, uh, not as good as Eternal Sunshine. I think it was Science of the Sleep that he it, did. It's a pretty, they, pretty unfair bar to, Yeah, <laughs> to I mean, I mean, to. that's hard to, to come, you know, to come Not as good to. as maybe the greatest movie of the <laughs> 2000s. <laughs> Of the last did, decade, yeah. Did, did he, I might did be he editorializing. Do, did he do Be Kind Rewind? Yo, Be Kind Rewind, yeah. yeah. I Yes, that's the movie I was thinking of. Um, I like that movie a lot. I know people kind of unfairly judge that one, but uh, yeah, this is kind of like, uh, there's a lot of uh, fantastical elements like from Be Kind Rewind in this one too. But uh, yeah, I think this is a, a major return to form. So I would definitely check out Mood Indigo because I, I think it got undervalued and underserved cool uh steven nice yeah that, that's actually one i was meaning to check out but wasn't able to uh so the first one is a little surprising to me uh and i think it sets the tone for this being a carson type list much more than a normal steven type list all right um uh it also is maybe an exception to what i was just saying about movies flooring you like i think in terms of like sheer being floored when I left the theater. There are some in my like six through 10 that are bigger than it, but who cares? This one, it had like an unparalleled tone. The scope was just so massive that by the end I was just like, what the hell did I just watch? <laughs> and in keeping with last year's number five choice, um, it's something that I saw just a couple days ago and it stars Joaquin Phoenix, <laughs> uh, uh -oh. which would make it inherent vice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so this movie, like, I did not like The Master that much. <laughs> I think I've referenced that. Uh, like Chris, I love world building. I want something that has like a plot, something that has characters that I can relate to. And this, the plot is very sprawling. The characters are kind of like, they're cool, but you don't love them or anything. But what a friggin' ridiculous, awesome movie. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> the, it, it was like Burn After Reading meets The Big Lebowski. It was like this big high octane hazy romp through the 70s through counterculture through california through it, it, it was like boogie nights for me it had the period piece love of something like boogie nights where like pta just had a vision and he just rolled with it like full-on i i don't even know how to explain <laughs> how to explain my love for it like joaquin phoenix being an amazing actor is not remotely the best part about this he's kind of like like the foil in this movie but there are people like michael sheen is a ridiculous like drug dealing dentist <laughs> josh oh, brolin is this, like, 
<clears throat> Martin Short, sorry. Michael, Michael, Sheen. <laughs> Michael Sheen would have been a good drug dealing <laughs> dentist too. Can't, can't believe I called him Michael Sheen. <laughs> that would be awesome. That uh, Josh Brolin plays this like repressed man child police officer <laughs> who <laughs> just has some crazy stuff going on. Uh, Catherine Watterson as Shasta is this like dreamy femme fatale that really sets the whole like. I think Catherine Watterson is actually from the 70s. Yeah, it, it seems like it. <laughs> like, I think PTA time-traveled and, like, brought her back. Yeah. But the she MVP, has that look. In my mind, the MVP is a person who didn't even exist in the book, uh, which is Joanna Newsom's narration. Um, she just sets this kind of, this surreal tone that has, I mean, so I love her music, too, so I'm kind of a fan of her voice already, but... She has this like sensitivity and empathy in her voice that in a movie without a real emotional anchor, like she kind of was the emotional anchor for me. Uh, like she kind of set the set the stage and every time things get a little too hectic or crazy, then she kind of grounds it in something, something kind of caring, if not, if not emotional, then at least like a comforting place. Uh, I, I think it was a crazy good choice to invent this narrator character and to put her in it because... I don't know. I I shouldn't have loved this movie, like, by all standards of being Steven, but I loved this movie. <laughs> I was actually very surprised when Steven texted me the other day and said this movie was the shit. Um, I was expecting a huge, huge backlash for... Not backlash, but just me, like, in a corner going, like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. This movie's great. Um, but... Uh, it's it's an amazing movie. It's a, it's a singular film. Like it's a an experience and it's really hard to describe. Like I can only really describe it as like the inebriated person at a party who's trying to tell you a story or the plot of some movie and it's like mostly makes sense. Most of it but doesn't. It keeps adding like um, relation after going. relation of sidetrack. Yeah, and side there's like layer <laughs> so. after layer, and like most of it's funny. Some of it's just confusing and uh, mostly entertaining, though. So, so like everything Steven said made me go like, ah, oh, damn it, I'm gonna have to watch this stupid movie. And then Carson's description makes me go, that's the guy I hate. No, no, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that the thing is, this is a. Uh, when I say it's like sprawling or weird or unlike something I would normally love, that doesn't make it difficult or I didn't no. find it difficult or unreachable or kind of snobby. It was I the best way I can say it is like Burn After Reading slash Big Lebowski. And like like those are movies where the plot didn't necessarily amount to that much. I know giant Coen Brothers fans might disagree and tell me Big Lebowski is the most groundbreaking movie of all time, blah blah, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> well, I mean it like, is. Like, well, I mean in, like in general, I think in Big Lebo I think in Big Lebowski the plot actually you can follow along. Yeah, you can you can follow for it for part. sure, but it's still yeah. it's like a hazy excuse oh, yeah. for like taking them to a variety of places. It's but not I think like, Inherent Vice takes it to a whole different level in terms of of being, you know, hazy and confused and and not yeah. knowing like who is doing what. The thing so the thing I think Chris that makes me love this movie despite the fact that Carson's description isn't my type of movie normally yeah. is that while this is hazy and confused, it's like it isn't only super confident, but it's like super funny slash whimsical slash winking at the camera. It, oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I can't... It isn't reasonable to compare it to a Wes Anderson movie in tone at all, but in 
in the sense that everyone is in on the joke and is just hamming it up. I know you're not you're not the biggest Wes Anderson dude either. <laughs> but. Well, it's almost like a it's almost like a slapstick, almost like a like an airplane style like comedy, like goofy. Yeah, well, it is. I, I mean, because like jo- Josh Brolin is hilarious. Like some of the stu- lines he has in this movie could be in like a Zucker Brothers movie, like so a Top Secret sure. or something. Ba- basically, what you're sa- what you're saying is my. What I interpreted from the trailer is exactly how the movie is, but that being said, I might enjoy it. Yes. I uh, <laughs> I was surprised when I when the movie ended, I was just like, wow. I cannot believe the sheer Whoa, man. <laughs> quantity that I've seen. It's a, <laughs> like, it's a huge movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, if if, <laughs> if I I'll see it and if I like it, maybe we'll do a short like Carson and Steven get surprised that Chris actually enjoyed this movie. Like a, a many, part of me thinks that review. Chris will like. A part of me thinks that Chris will enjoy the insane plotting of it, like the challenge of trying to follow along yeah, or something. Just like I'm ready. Part of it is it's based on down. it's based on like a Thomas Pynchon novel, which my brother, who is more well read than I, <laughs> tells me are like extremely sprawling person following clue after clue after clue new characters coming and going and dense prose like pausing for a long time like it's based on very difficult source material and i think you can feel like the love he had for it but also the like the ambition to actually take a difficult thing and whittle it into like a movie that is consistently entertaining because i I've, i've read that most of his books people have deemed unfilmable yeah yeah I well, think those, this is probably his most accessible in terms of moviness. I don't know. That's just what I've heard. That's what that's what the guy when I was waiting in line at AFI to see the film the first time, the guy in front of us was like big pinch on fan and he mm-hmm. had read the book. So he was telling us about like, yeah, like it's really dense and not a book that you read like on the bus on the way to work or something. Yeah. You gotta like really focus. I gotta be smart, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, on to my number five. Uh, my number five is you know we're we're gonna we're gonna go down a little different path than what uh, Stephen did for his. Uh, but this is a film that uh, I absolutely loved. I mean, it's one that I walked out of the, the theater on a super huge high from. Um, I saw the film virtually alone in a theater with almost no one in it, but that couldn't stop me from. Uh, being amazingly in love with it and uh you know just being so joyously involved in the film that i probably look like an idiot to the four other people who were in the theater experiencing my presence um and uh you know it may not be super artsy it may not be um the best film that came out this year but my number five is actually big hero six i knew it (laughs) it's either that or the homes man i mean come on It's, I mean, I, I love that film. There's still things that make me laugh when I think back to the film. Uh, I want to see it again in theaters over and over and over again. Um, but clearly, time is a problem with that goal. But um, yeah, I, I just, it's, it, it, whatever, it's an amazing film. If you haven't seen Big Hero 6, go freaking see it because it's fantastic. I love it. Um yeah, you guys liked it too, right? Well, uh, I was not on the review that you guys did for it. That's right. Um, yeah, so I will say that out of all the people on the show, 
I was probably the one who was least excited for it. I was kind of hating being like, yeah, whatever. It's like, they're all like whitewashed Asians. What's up with that, Disney? Like, <laughs> it's just going to be really lame. As um, an Asian man yourself, you were really offended. Right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but no, I was just like, come on, Disney, you made Mulan. Like, what's up with that? Um, but no, Chinese, dude. Japanese, same thing. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Um, yeah, if you guys haven't figured out, Carson is white. Just um, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I was kind of just like not. I was not looking forward to it as much as as you guys were. Uh, and then when I saw the movie, uh, very early on in the film, I in, internally I was like, <laughs> I was like doing what Mark Marin did anytime he saw a PTA movie. He was just like, God damn it! He's like <laughs> they did it. Like what the. F- that was a good Mark Marin, actually. <laughs> uh, walking out of the theater, going like, "Ah, Disney." Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a great movie. Yeah, as I said in the review, like I really really love this movie. Um, it probably is my favorite children's ish movie that came out this year, and this is the year that brought us the Lego Movie, which yeah. may or may not be mentioned later on other people. I don't know. Uh, that one has been like universally considered the movie <laughs> to see right. this year, and in my mind, Big Hero Six it it wasn't as ambitious, but in terms of how like clever and fun it was for me, not in a frenetic way, but in a genuine storytelling way, like Big Hero Six just had. It had everything. It had that emotional anchor, too, that my films are regrettably missing right now uh, in the character of Baymax and in the things that that Hero has to learn. Yeah. It it was really great. I loved it. And I... I, I, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, like, the the whole, like, me joking about the whitewashing was cleared up in, like, the first two seconds when they're like, welcome to San Francisco. I was like, okay, I get it now. Like, there's no, like, need to explain anything else. And the fact that, like, their team consisted of, like, you know, there were all these different, like, uh, ethnicities and stuff. I was like, like, Disney totally, like, went in, like, the right direction, I felt like. And... Um, seeing it right after Interstellar too, I was just like, "This is this is a better team movie than Interstellar." Like, <laughs> yeah, the whole sure. movie. <laughs> like, I was, I was like, "These people are are like smarter than the scientists in Interstellar." I, I think I made that joke in our Interstellar review where I was like, "I was like, this is not the only film uh, that uh, came out this weekend that ended with some stuff talking about wormholes." And, yeah, and it's not the best of those. Yep. Yeah, and like Baymax, greater than Tars. Sorry. Way better. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And of course... Also more huggable. Right, yeah. (laughs) And I mean, it centers around robotics grad students in San Francisco area. So like, I if I didn't love it already, I kind of have to love it by virtue of making what my life looks like actually look interesting to children. Yeah. Basically, Stephen has all the love I have and then some because it's it's his uh, bread and butter. Mm -hmm. For sure. Well, that is my number five. That's all of our number fives. Why don't we uh, get on into our number fours, Carson? All right. Well, this next pick is probably going to be lost on a bunch of people, but I hope that people seek this out because it's an it's a great, great movie. Uh, it's called White Tiger, and it came out this year. Ironically, the same weekend 
not the same weekend, but the same week as uh, Fury, because this movie is also a World War tank, World War Two tank movie. Um, so basically, this movie was released in Russia like a couple years back, but it got a U.S. release the same week as Fury, because I guess they thought like, well, if we put it like on DVD and VOD and stuff, people might be confused and think this is like the asylum version of fury or something <laughs> like maybe they'll accidentally download it yeah exactly because like the, if you go on itunes the uh the poster for white tiger makes you think like oh this is this is a, this looks like a shitty movie like this looks like an asylum film for sure yeah they needed brad pitt with a macklemore haircut to, exactly to make it exactly to make it yeah <laughs> captain macklemore was not in it <laughs> um but uh no obviously if you've listened to this i was not a fan of fury um so of course what? <laughs> of course, when you hear me describe White Tiger, you'll you'll understand why. But it, it's a it's a really cool movie. Like so, basically, it's from the uh, it's it's from the Russian side. They're they're it's at the end of the war. They're trying to uh, take over Berlin, and uh, but they keep getting a lot of their forces keep getting killed off by this mysterious German tank. That they've called the White Tiger. The White Tiger. Yeah. I don't know why I made him French. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, this is the White Tiger. This is how we do in Russia. Uh, but uh, yeah, so the movie starts off and there's this tank guy and he dies, but he gets completely charred. Like they, <laughs> they open this tank, right? And there's just this burning body, like burning flesh. And there's like, he's dead. And then he wakes up, and they're like, oh, shit, he's alive. And then um, <laughs> this dude recovers, right? So the dude dies and comes back. Like, he can't die. Because, Is this like Crank 3? Kind of. But, like, so the dude dies. He comes back to life with the ability to communicate with tanks. Oh, God. So Not tigers. He, That's good. So he can talk to the tanks and he figures out how to take down the white tiger um this is kind of like an exploitation movie mixed with like a summer blockbuster mixed with a really like slow burn uh like uh mr turnery type of uh indie film like it's a it's a crazy movie um but it's a it's a movie that i think that only could be pulled off in a like a foreign way like i feel like if they did it in america it would just be like too lame or something um, I, I feel like the american release had some like translation errors because i refuse to believe that this is about a soldier who dies and comes back with tankokinesis he he does though like he can he can communicate with the tanks um and people think that uh it's weird that you got to watch it though because it's like it's not like the tanks are talking you know the tank is voiced by like the russian version of seth rogan or something it's like he it's 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 very it's taken very seriously but there is like an air of like there's no like wink wink it's all done like very seriously like how fury was but uh it just happens to have this ridiculous premise but uh it's handled pretty it's handled really well uh the the person uh the it's actually directed by a woman uh whose name i will not pronounce because it's russian and very long and uh not in my uh you know knowledge but uh 
it was cool. Like it, it, it I mean, it's you know, for seeing like all these these war movies, especially Fury, like where you know by the end we were all hating on the fact that it's basically just like them taking the last stand, and you know, it, it goes down these roads that are very predictable. And and White Tiger, you know, it's almost like they took that same sort of like historical epic type of mold, but they decided, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we just like had them talk to, you know, like, like they added in this other element that was just like, oh, crap, like I haven't seen that before. Like, that's cool. Um, and then it, it ends in a way that I, I was not expecting. But uh, man, it's a cool movie. The, the main guy in it looks like Russian DJ Qualls, which I thought found highly amusing. <laughs> I don't um, know what that means. <laughs> DJ DJ Qualls was the skinny white dude in a uh, road trip. Uh and and the new guy. All right, okay, gotcha. Anyway, um and and the the main like Russian commander looks like Russian Anthony Michael Hall, but that was also amusing. Anyway, <laughs> it's a good film. Uh check it out. It's on iTunes. You can rent it. You can probably get it on DVD too. Uh Yeah. It's a cool movie. All right. Well, very uh, interesting. That is a deep cut. That is so deep. I had never heard of it. Extremely deep cut. 2014. I've been reading about it, but I've been reading snobby lists about like favorite movies, and people pull out some deep stuff. But I've not heard of that one. There you go. All right. Well, uh, Stephen, are you going to bring us back to reality, or are you going to give us another crazy movie? I'll I'll bring you back. I've debated a lot <laughs> about whether or not this should make the list. Uh, also, in keeping with last year, uh, my number four film is a Richard Linkletter movie, uh, <laughs> which obviously uh, it is the movie Boyhood. And and the thing, the like the reason I've debated about it is like the truth is probably without the fundamental story of how the movie was made and the stuff that went into filming it. It would, like my girlfriend has said, feel like a long episode of Parenthood, kind of, just like a like <laughs> sappy, all oh, families learn things, learning that parenting is hard, we're all winging it, blah, blah, blah. And, and that's probably kind of true of a lot of his films, too. Like, I don't know if I would have loved the Before series as much if I hadn't seen them spread out over so many years and seen, like, these characters kind of grow. Um, and, of course, other big filmic things like the 7-Up documentaries, like, of course, if the same premise had happened and you didn't have that time aspect, it probably wouldn't feel as resonant to me. But in the end, I decided it it doesn't matter. Like, I, I don't care if it's a kind of schmaltzy movie that five years from now I look back and I'm like, why did that make my list? Um, in, in terms of a film as an event, then Boyhood was a wholly unique thing for me this year. Um, I mean, it, it carried the magic of growing up and it had this sort of on-the-nose nostalgia that... Things like Parenthood have too, but because they're fake, like they're not actually watching people grow up, somehow that rubs me the wrong way. But like because of its conceit, it made it okay for it to have this kind of very heartfelt, on-the-nose sentiment that it, it just felt good. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, like you could be too cute for trying to make this stuff up, but seeing it actually happen is just, it gives it a pass for me, which whether it's fair or not, just made it like deeply deeply moving to me uh, i watched it again just a few days ago and it completely held up uh like i was not bored at all i was still very moved i got a little teary-eyed a few times even um 
I don't know. It, it gets to be hard on your sleeve in this extremely Richard Linkletter way, which maybe it's an unfair advantage, but I thought it was just a, a wonderful one. I would be very surprised if it doesn't win Best Picture because I just think that's what the front runner is right now, mm-hmm. which I think is deserving. I mean, I think that the sheer idea behind it is unique enough on its own like i mean it's like he he did like he's the first one to do this you know a movie this way like that's like a pretty huge thing um and uh i think he pulled it off i mean richard linklater is always like experimenting in you know different ways with movies you know whether it's like a scanner darkly and or something like tape where it's all in one room. Like he's, he's always like doing like, you know, not saying he's the first one to do it, but he's always like changing up his style, which I think is cool. Like he's always like wanting to be like, yeah, like I'm going to do this kind of movie. Now I'm just going to go do a remake of bad news bears. Like I just, he doesn't really, nothing's above him. He's just like, yeah, I'll do that. Like that sounds cool to me or something. Yeah. And, and this one just, uh, it's the kind of movie where, I didn't walk away feeling like, oh, that was cool. Like, like, dude, that was an epic movie. Like some of the other things that I'm going to be getting into. But it was one of those things that I feel like it is a very unique experience. And probably the older people get, especially the more prone to nostalgia you are, this just hits, this really hits beats in a way that I can't think of another film this year did for me. Uh, I would say this is kind of my, my stand-in for the style of last year's movies where they were all about all about heart and emotional resonance. This one, like, it was just a raw, good feeling, occasionally hard, but, you know, never too heavy uh, type of film. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Boyhood is a fantastic film as well. Um, it, I, I agree that it is kind of hard to separate it from the conceit of what it's doing, but at the same time, it it nails everything that it is doing in an amazing way. And because because of, of what it's trying to do and how everything has to be shorter there like uh, by everything has to be shorter i mean like the the actual little like sections of the film at the different ages that the boy goes through have to be more condensed and stuff you you it's almost like the the narrative is a little bit light but it's light in a way where like when you think back on your life your life memories are light in that same way where you remember these key moments where things happen that have stuck with you over time. But, you know, the film as a whole isn't following this one perfectly tight knit transition. And, um, I, yeah, I, I really, I really, really enjoyed it. It's fun. Uh, this film appears on my list somewhere. Uh, and when I say my list, I'm talking about like the whole, the whole list that we're talking about in this episode. So I, I, I will leave some suspense as to whether or not it is in the top five or in the six through 10, I almost said bottom five, but you know what I mean? Somewhere on the list, this appears and that's all I will say for now. I had a feeling you'd be backing me up on this. So I'll, I'll hold out on a few more specifics till you bring it up. Oh yeah. <clears throat> so uh, we, I was <laughs> yawning. <laughs> all right. Should we get on to my number four? All right, so now it comes to the part of the episode where I talk, like, th- these next three films are sort of films that they, they're films that, like, I just thought were amazing, and uh, I very, very much enjoyed, and they kind of made the list, and I feel not, I don't know, in a way, I feel a little bit cheap, but it's like, they, they were, like, anytime this year somebody has said, hey, what's good in theaters, or that I, that I should see, like, these... 
um, three films I've recommended to people throughout the year. And it wasn't like, a, oh, this movie was great to me. It was a film that I think is legitimately great. Um, so number four is uh, Whiplash. And uh, I know it's a film that the three of us uh, enjoyed. Um, I think it's it's a very well acted film. Um, you know, all the performances are amazing. You know, the soundtrack is great uh, in that it's jazz music and jazz music. It's a film that like made me like, oh, damn it, I need to like listen to jazz more because jazz is awesome. Um, the re- really like the shining moment for me of this film is is the the ending of it. And as as kind of ridiculous and um, sort of um, semi unrealistic as as you know toward the end of this film is it it's it's got this incredible crescendo to it and it just builds this moment of of greatness um, which you know fits in line with the themes of the film I guess um, yeah I I love the film Whiplash people should check it out because it's awesome and. Uh, yeah, you guys like this movie as well, right? Oh yeah, I think if I did a traditional top five, this would be the this would be the number one. I think I said in the review is my favorite movie. Yeah, I mean, I by far, I I loved it. I I of course echo everything everything you said, Chris. I mean the the ending to me like what a triumphant climax. Like like I, I think after I saw it, I I compared it to Fury because we had reviewed that not too long earlier yeah and this had this managed to keep so much more adrenaline into like a little drum roll like the beat of a stick than fury had in like <laughs> giant guns that were blowing people up yeah. pew lasers <laughs> i mean i mean in, in terms of that sheer like kind of claustrophobic energy of like being trapped being on a stage being watched and needing to perform and needing to do it like precisely without a twitch without a nervous uh without any lapse of judgment was just I, I really love this movie, and you may be hearing about it later on. <laughs> Sweet. Um, should we go on to our number threes then? All right. All right, Carson, number three. Well, uh, from here on out, it won't be as uh, as B-side as White Tiger. <laughs> but, I mean, come on, White Tiger. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um Tank of Kinesis. White Tiger, not the biopic of Coach Dennis Snyder. <laughs> that three is po- a deep cut that only- three pointer, three pointer inside baseball. In in percentage of people who listen to this, probably a high percent might get it. But <laughs> um anyway, number three is a movie I saw back in April, and after I saw it, I was immediately like, Yes, I think this is gonna be in my top five. Uh, that movie was the movie Joe, starring my one of my favorite actors, Nicolas Cage. Um, no way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nicolas Cage made a top three movie? Nicolas Cage in a top three, uh, believe it. Um, I, thought, I thought you said this was going to be not so uh, whatever type of list here. Like, I don't it, even know not. what this I've movie heard is. People, I've heard people mention this movie. Uh, Joe is... is uh, is the new David Gordon Green movie that came out this year, uh, who I'm a big fan of. And uh, Nicolas Cage is, uh, this is this is definitely his best performance probably since, I mean, definitely for a while. I'd say since uh, when uh, that the year that The Weatherman and uh, Lord of War came out, for sure. Like, I think this is definitely most, I mean, not that it's that hard, but I mean, it's definitely it's a it's a return to form for Cage. Like I think that 
you watch this movie and you see exactly why like he became so popular you know just that his his unique uh, uh sensibilities as an actor uh are definitely on full display here um and it's a very dialed back performance it's not you know uh the wicker man where he's running around screaming at people and punching people but uh it, it's definitely uh it's definitely more dialed back uh, and i think that there's a lot of of heart to it uh, and and the movie is weird. It's almost like uh, it's almost like the the darker, uh, quirkier cousin to Mud, because um, it has very similar themes in the sense that you know Nicolas Cage plays this ex convict. He kind of takes this this younger kid under his wing, um, and the younger kid in Joe is played by Ty Sheridan, who was the young kid in Mud. So. Uh, definitely has a strong connection, but uh, the real question is: Does it have a weird, uh, sexually infused pie making scene in it? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. Um, fortunately, it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> or a voiceover by Tobey Maguire. <laughs> what, what's funny is when you said Joe, I was imagining Matthew McConaughey, and I don't no, know if so that's was Killer Joe. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I don't know if it was because of Mud or because of Killer Joe that I had that connection. Killer Joe, yeah. Well, that's a good movie. Is that too. the one that like the poster has like a chicken finger on it or something? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Matthew McConaughey does some obscene things with a piece of chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Whew, that was Great. a good movie. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, Joe. Uh, it, it's closer to my. I I enjoyed Joe more than Mud though. Um, and if you ask my parents, they will disagree because I told them to watch Joe. It was on VOD and they were just like, nah, not having it. But uh, I don't think it, it's not like a, some crazy weird movie, uh, but I definitely think it's it's more in line with like like Undertow or uh, George Washington. Some of these like earlier David Gordon Green movies that uh, were more like slow burning and always like a real focus on like odd characters like he always ends up putting like uh local people in the film who end up being tremendous actors like the the role of the father of the young boy in the movie is played by like a legit homeless person like david gordon green cast this dude off the street basically and he'd like never been in a movie before and uh He's very, very like he's amazing. Like it's it's a crazy performance that he's like going toe to toe with someone you know as big as Nicolas Cage. Um, and uh, I don't know, it's it's a really great movie. Especially there's a there's a montage in the film where Cage is like kind of teaching Ty Sheridan's character like how to be a man and stuff, and, and uh, giving him like life lessons and. There's a there's definitely like a classic cage moment that had like the whole theater laughing. Like it's it's I don't know, I really enjoyed it. It's a it's a cool movie. Like I I feel like that another another movie that got lost in the shuffle cuz I know it came out in theaters, but it it was in theaters for like a week cuz like no one knew what it was. They're just like Nicolas Cage, uh no. <laughs> <laughs> like is this another uh Dying of the Light? I'll skip it. Is this the Left Behind movie? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Stephen, you are number three. Okay, so from here on out, we are back in 
embracing the types of movies that I said at the beginning, which were just like powerhouse films where it doesn't even matter if I had like a sappy emotional anchor or not. They just demanded to be my my top three. And like I said, this has been pretty set in stone for a while. Um, so number three is Birdman. Uh, so usually the archetype of like a hip self-aware film it is something that like makes critics go crazy. But then like when I watch it, it's just like, uh, droll. Like, look how droll they're in on the joke. Har, har, har. So meta. This was so opposite of any of that. I mean, I was prepared to hate it. Like it, it, it almost defied me to like it based on the, the trailers and the premise of it. And like the way everything, like the jazzy drum beat and everything could have fallen so flat, but it was such a, commanding movie like from start to finish I, I mean from the opening credits and the way the camera just soars by in this theatrical way where it just is you know roaming this long single take as Michael Keaton walks around and just interacts with these characters who are so on one hand not like the most hilarious satire but such a like thought-provoking satire I mean so Confidence is kind of the only way I can describe this movie from the score, which is just this jazzy drum beat that plays to the way the camera just pivots around to the the grand arcs that happen in the movie and the kind of highly dramatized sequences, the the ending, which for some reason the Slash Film people didn't like, but I really enjoyed actually. <laughs> um, shout out to Slash Film. Um, yeah, I mean, this movie just kind of demanded my respect, almost in a way no other film did this year, where it... It had a vision and a world, and from the opening credits to the close, it just took you in that world and took you on this uh, this journey full of Inuritu's quirky characters and his on-the-nose like satire, which then he undercuts with deeper things that show that he realizes these are hard questions, and he makes fun of himself, and he makes fun of other people. And if, if the grand message is anything, it's don't take yourself so seriously, and you wouldn't think a movie with a message like that would resonate with me as a top three pick, but Birdman, in terms of quality, it could have been number one. Like these three could have been interchangeable. They all do a different thing for me. Like what a, what a powerhouse movie. This was definitely one that I was raving about to everyone after I left that regardless of whether they think they'll like it or not, they just have to watch it. I, I definitely agree. I mean, for for the type of movie that it is, uh, Inuritu definitely showed up to the dick measuring contest and won. Like it, <laughs> it's not. It doesn't fall short. You know what I mean? Like it in terms of like it could have. Like it could have just been like this pretentious, really boring. Like trying to look at the you know the life of this failed actor and. It could have gone south for sure. It doesn't like in every choice that it makes, uh, it succeeds at. And Michael Keaton, I think, is for sure gonna win best actor. Like, I think that is a closed deal, and it's deservedly so because I think that you know, Michael Keaton's always been he's always been great and uh. I think that this movie finally it was a vehicle for him to really really shine like and to remind everyone that like oh yeah Michael Keaton is a good actor you know I uh, I really yeah. liked him but I I think the biggest dynamic in the film for me that I walked away with was Edward Norton and Emma Stone like the combination of them somehow that was the the most 
impactful performance to me. The most like, like Michael Keaton got to be crazy, sort of. <laughs> like he got to emote this, <laughs> uh, this you know, midlife crisis style. I'm an artist. What have I achieved? What am I going to do? But these other characters are just so like theatrical is the only way I can describe. But it's not in a pretentious way that would make me hate it. It's with just such. I hate using the word confidence because that's going to be the recurring theme of all of these, but such confident, hilarious performance from Edward Norton. Yeah, Edward, no, I, I mean, he's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love the film as well. I, I remember that when the trailer came out, I, I felt like this, this seemed like a accessible version of a Carson film, like a Coke movie. And I was kind of like, I was like, you know what, this seems like something that, that Carson will love. And um, but it seems like something that I could watch and not hate. So I kind of went into it like slightly optimistic that I might enjoy it just for its zaniness. And instead I got like a freaking fantastic movie that uh, it, yeah, it was one of those ones where like I walked out and I was like, oh my God, that was like better than I feel I'm reacting right now. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I think it's, um, yeah, it's just doing, I mean, uh, it has a little bit of that boyhood thing where it's like, I see what you're doing here and I can't unsee what you're doing here. Um, but at the same time, the, it, it, it feels authentic. It feels, it feels, you know, confident as, uh, as, uh, Stephen was saying. And it just, it's, it's the type of film where like, it's a film about a person worried about legacy and about doing something with their life. And it's, uh, those are all things that, that resonate with me. And I like every single character, I can buy into in this film. It's not like there's one, it's it's not just one character who is is the only thing I latch on to in this weird, confused world. It's like every single character is existing in a, in a way that I can kind of latch on to every single person. Whoever's the focus of the scene, I can jump on with and and and, and be with them experiencing this. And uh, yeah, for that, I, I love it. I, I think uh, one thing that I really enjoyed that came up in our conversation about it in the review is that, so Inuritu is kind of like the quintessential, like pretentious, mopey filmmaker. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yes. you think of a movie, you think of a movie like Babel, and it's like, you know, so self-important and riveting. Like I, I enjoyed it quite a bit actually. But then when you look back at it, you're like, ugh, it took itself so seriously, and it was just like staring at the Academy to nominate it for something. Um, and then you compare him to a filmmaker like Charlie Kaufman, who could be called pretentious but he has so much like inventiveness and playfulness that pretty much universally maybe not universally but almost people really vibe off of his movies um yeah. and they both made movies about this theme uh and Synecdoche New York was kind of the Inuritu version where it was like a very sad mopey one which while loving it took itself extremely seriously and this actually had that like Charlie Kaufman lightheartedness to it that was just like infectious from start to finish where even if it is being self-referential and cute you you love it for that like you don't hate it for it yeah yeah i was very surprised because after beautiful which was i think even more pretentious and awards baity than Babel, uh very very surprising that inuritu made a funny movie uh i just I mean, I know the guy is is talented, but uh, he does gravitate more toward the like super self serious dramas, and I, I'm I'm glad that he decided to to change it up. He was probably like in in need of a laugh. <laughs> anyway, 
<laughs> cool. So it's, it's on to my number three, right? Yep. All right. So here's another film that uh, I just thought was fantastic. Uh, this is a film that uh, when it was done and I walked out of the theater, I was like tired in a good way. I was like exhausted from just the the thrillerness of the film like it would just it's it's a film where you are uneasy the entire film because you don't know what's going to happen or like what somebody's going to get themselves into and uh that is the film nightcrawler and uh once again this is a film with fantastic i don't know what that means fantastic performances uh, from jake gyllenhaal as whatever lou bloom is that his name yeah 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 lou bloom uh yeah i mean I, I it's one of those films where it's like i was like telling people it's it, it, it fits exactly that category of like i don't care who you are just go see it i mean obviously you have to be someone who can you know can't can handle the craziness of the film but like it's 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 just a great thriller and uh it's it's one of those films that masterfully keeps you uneasy the entire film to to like i said to a point where it's you're almost like exhausted by the end of it just because you there's never a moment where you feel comfortable or happy or like excited that the like you care about the main character but you care about him in this way that like you don't want to see anything bad happen to him but he's also a horrible person you you don't want to see anything bad happen to him but you don't want him to do anything bad either yeah true, like your yeah. crazy uncle sort of yeah, like like <laughs> like you care in that he's a human life and that you feel a little bit sympathetic for him, but you're also more scared for the people around him <laughs> and the people involved in his life. Um, but yeah, I, I I loved it, Nightcrawler, and I think people should check it out. It's definitely my favorite performance of the year, uh, actor-wise, Jake Gyllenhaal as Lou Bloom, for sure. Like, uh, that was easily the best performance, in my opinion. Even more than in Birdman? Like... Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you know, you think like, Keaton will win it, but you think yeah, that personally, I think, you yeah, personally, yeah. I think Gyllenhaal, that was my favorite performance. Yeah, I mean, of the it year. was it was an amazing performance and a, a really really amazing movie. Um, I will be talking about it later. I won't reveal <laughs> which which half of the show I'll be talking about it in, but yeah, really, just like a, a very traditional movie in a way but like just hit all the right beats in such a such a really 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 riveting way everything from the music the acting the the view of the night drives that made me feel like i was watching drive again like seeing this cool shady la night it it was a really awesome movie yeah all right well that was all of our uh, number threes unless carson had any last thoughts on I mean, there's really nothing else to say about Nightcrawler other than it's amazing. <laughs> All right. I, I went and saw it again, and it was even great the second time around. It's funny, like, watching it in a normal theater. Well, because, like, the first time I saw it, it was at a screening, so, of course, everyone was, like, you know, all into it. But it was weird watching it just, like, at a regular theater and the people not knowing like where it was going to go and realizing that like how ridiculous and crazy Jake Gyllenhaal's character is and laughing at, you know, how he keeps upping the craziness. Yeah. Like there was a guy who was like very like heartily laughing. Uh, and I think he like, but like surprised at like, what? Like, holy shit. Like it's going there. And I thought it was funny <laughs> hearing like their reactions to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that reminds me of something I'll have to talk about in our future review of uh, Taken, but 
there's a funny story about <laughs> audience reactions. But anyways. Maybe you saw my girlfriend's mom at the theater. She really liked it. I <laughs> well, like this Liam Neeson fellow. Well, anyways, why don't we get into our number two, Carson? What was yours? Um, my number two movie is uh, the film The Rover, which came out this summer. Um, and uh, real quick, I just want to say uh, it was put out by uh, A24, distributed it. And like... I think A24 has been killing it in terms of like they just like came onto the scene last year. The first movie they put out, big movie they put out was Spring Breakers. Uh, they've just been releasing a lot of great indie films. They've been very supportive of like um, sort of filmmakers who don't really get uh, their work put out wide. Um, and this year alone, they had uh, Enemy. Under the Skin, Locke, uh, Obvious Child, this film, The Rover, uh, Life After Beth, Tusk, and A Most Violent Year. And I think all of those movies were uniquely uh, great and interesting on, on their own. And I think that The Rover is, yeah, so I just, I just think that they're doing like really cool stuff. And uh, The Rover is certainly one that stuck with me uh, a long time after I saw it. Like, even more than Under the Skin, which I really loved. Uh, this movie was just crazy because... Uh, I don't know if you guys seen the trailer, but it's the, it's the one with Guy Pierce and uh, Robert Pattinson. And they're mm -hmm. in, like... Uh, it's basically 10 years in the future and the economy has collapsed and they're in Australia... Uh, and it's it's basically like Mad Max in real life. Uh, shit's crazy. And Guy Pierce is has his car stolen, and he's on a mission to get it uh, back. So it's John Wick. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like John Wick. Um, it's funny you say that. I don't want to say why, but because uh, because uh, the you don't. There's a the, the motivations behind Guy Pierce's character, you don't know, uh, and they 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 come through as the movie progresses, and um, oh man, like when it ends, like I was like, I, so the whole movie's going on, and I'm just like, this is a great movie, like it's it's thrilling, like it's scary. Uh, Robert Pattinson is amazing in this film as he's playing like a, uh, he's almost playing like Lenny from A Mice and Men. He's this like weird, like obviously like mentally handicapped guy, but he can like navigate his way through this wasteland. Uh, and it, he like completely like immerses himself in this role. Like his, his like weird voice that he does like you would never expect that he was British or you know a vampire who sparkled at one point, <laughs> but um, I mean it's 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 a real like uh, like I enjoyed him in Cosmopolis, but this was like for sure like hey guys I'm serious like I'm not just the dude who was in Twilight, um, and like you know Guy Pierce is always a badass, and he really plays like that you know like gritty like a you know determined role very well and uh but yeah like the like when the movie ends it's it's a real like like whoa moment because it only like solidifies the movie as being just 
even more amazing, but it it also like makes you realize like the lengths of what Guy Pierce's character goes to uh to get his car back because it's just like this really is a man who is he's got nothing to lose and he will stop at nothing and it's directed by david michaud who did animal kingdom which is probably one of the best movies of the last decade like in terms of crime dramas it's amazing like i i kind of jokingly said it in our trailer review but the australians know how to do it man like they like there is some amazing talent in Australia, filmmaking and acting wise, uh, but especially filmmaking. Like I know, like David Michaud is kind of like he came. There's there's a whole like camaraderie. Like uh, Joel Edgerton um, is friends with him. Like him and his brother uh, Nash and uh, the guy Spencer Susser who ended up doing Hesher, which I thought was cool. Uh, they they all kind of formed this. They started out together, and Joel Edgerton actually came up with a story for the Rover. Um, and then I think he was going to star in it at one point and then decided not to, had to do other stuff, but, uh, I guess he had to go play an Egyptian Pharaoh. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, like it's, uh, it's a crazy good movie. Uh, like I really, really strongly suggest you guys check it out and everybody listening because, uh, yeah, it's, it's in terms of like Australian outback post-apocalyptic, it's, it's up there <laughs> in terms of this really specific genre of film. No, but it's up it's, there with Mad Max. It's 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 really cool, and it also has like the best uh, use of a song in the movie, which is uh, Carrie Hilson's uh, "Don't Hate Me Because I'm Beautiful," which uh, it, it's weird. Like Dave Michaud uses a lot of like like music that you wouldn't think would be in the genre. Like in Animal Kingdom, he played Air Supplies "All Out of Love." And it's this like brutal crime movie and it fits so perfectly. And now every time I hear it, I can't think of anything but uh, but people dying in Australia. So anyway, let's not forget the use of a song in Three Days to Kill. I mean, really? <laughs> <laughs> what, it, what, all Out of Love was I don't remember the, the, the ringtone that uh, uh, that right Three Days to Kill had the like Icona pop song on it. Did did he? I can't remember. Yeah, it was like the ringtone on the phone. Uh, never mind. Just it was a yeah, joke. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, because it, uh, it was a joke and it landed perfectly. The, the daughter <laughs> did it. Yeah, whatever. I don't remember Three Days yeah. to Kill very much. Yeah, so I uh, I didn't catch the rover. That's actually that's on a rather short list of movies that I wanted to have been able to catch up with uh, before doing this because that along with like the immigrant and Locke have been pretty divisive in that mostly they didn't get a whole lot of critical love, but some people have been like fervently up to bat for those movies. Um, And yeah, from the trailer, like the Rover seemed like the most interesting of those three by far. Uh, And I'm also impressed with the exception of what I believe is your number one. Uh, I think you've managed to list all movies that I have not seen yet. (laughs) So well done. A good (laughs) <laughs> I guess I don't know, but I will say I mentioned really quickly that Locke is a great film too. Yeah, but, I don't think so. <laughs> well, that is a great film with an amazing performance by Tom Hardy. Uh, the Immigrant, not so much. That is mm. a dry, Mister Turnery type of film. But, Some uh, people loved that movie. I think I, Scott Tobias was the one who named it like number two or something crazy. I really love James Gray's movies, but The Immigrant was 
was tough to get through. And it's mostly just Marion Cotillard going like, my sister, I need to get back to my sister. Like, oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) You managed to take like a really sexy accent and just make it terrible. Well, she's playing a Polish woman. So she has like that very like, oh, my sister. It's almost like Bruno. (laughs) You you uh, sound Mexican to me. (laughs) It always doesn't sound the way it should. (laughs) Well, you're just not a good enough actor, Carson. So. I'm not, no. <laughs> all right, Stephen, why don't you let us know what your number two is? All right, so my number two of all these movies, this is the one that is most mostly like a film that I am personally championing that I don't know that it's universal, but damn, I, I really hope it is. And that's the movie Calvary. Um, I think... So you guys remember the way that I saw this movie is that I actually missed the opening scene, mm. which is what sets, <laughs> which is what sets the whole tone of the movie. Like it tells you this is what the movie is going to be about. Like this is what he is examining. And having missed that, what I got was this sort of like a dark mystery where not only the answer, but like the question was unknown <laughs> to me, like brooding, <laughs> brooding things were happening and I had to piece them together for myself. And because of that, most of these movies, if they're available, I've given them a rewatch now just to be sure like I really enjoyed them. This one, I have it on my computer and I'm almost afraid to watch it again because I loved it so much the first time. I feel like there's no way it can it can meet that again. Um, but really, like no movie has lingered for me the way that Calvary has this year. Uh, I mean... What I saw was just breathtaking to me. I, Brendan Gleeson does a great job as this uh, this priest who's at once deeply devout, but also cynical and sinful and philosopher and cares about his congregation, but not strictly in a theological way, like also just in being there for them and being prepared for anything. And this this whole plot, which I almost don't want to give away, even though I know it's the opening line and probably the trailer... <laughs> It, I don't think it's in the trailer. <laughs> I think it is, or at least like the well, trailer part, kind part of lets of the you know what's conversation. happening. Okay, yeah, yeah, but not the opening line. I yeah, thought that's yeah. what you meant. Yeah, yeah, sure. No. Yeah, okay. I don't, I don't think you can say that in a in no. a approved for all audiences trailer. No, yeah, but no. but I mean, really, the the plot kind of would have set it up as a sort of thriller, a like who done it or how am I going to escape this or how will I fight this. But instead, it's just a a catalyst for kind of philosophic conversations, almost almost waking lifey or like link lettery to me, where it's like these people are walking around and talking, and they all have different different points of view that they express, and you know it's kind of just a vehicle for uh, the McDonough. I actually forget which McDonough made this. Um, John Michael. Yeah, John Michael. You. It feels like it's probably a mouthpiece for him to like muse about ideas that he cares about. And sometimes that can come off as cute, but here it just was like, it was so believable to me. And it had this perfect blend of like darkness and humor and kind of genuine care. Like the the final shot of the movie and the way that it ends has this sort of like a music cue and a drama to it that I should have maybe been rolling my eyes, but the masterful way they put it together, it like hit me really really hard i mean it it just lingered for so long and i think this has been getting some critical love but not to the extent that i feel like it deserves and i feel like everyone 
whether or not the movie is even for them, they really need to check it out and just uh, experience it. Because it, I mean, it, it's n- similar in ways to the uh, other McDonough's films, like In Bruges or Seven Psychopaths, but it has so much more heart and somber kind of wisdom to it. It, Like I said, I'm almost terrified to watch it again because what I saw the first time around, I loved so much that <laughs> I feel like no movie can actually compare to that on a second viewing (laughs) yeah i i I, this is one of those weird films where uh like i I enjoyed it but i think i enjoyed having seen it more than i enjoyed it itself like like the the conversation surrounding what the film is doing and what, what it's talking about like it's one of those things where it's it's like hey let's hang out watch this movie and then like talk for four hours about the what we just watched and it's like i i it, it it deserves the love that you're giving it. Um, it's I think overall it's not my it's not like a, a list worthy film for me. But anytime I'm in the middle of conversation about it, I feel like no, that is list worthy to me. Um, but then like once I'm alone, I don't care about it as much anymore. If that makes sense. But mm-hmm. um, it's definitely a film that you can talk a lot about. And for that, I definitely hold it. Like I don't. I, I don't disagree with you in any way. I just, for me, it's, it, it requires me talking with you <laughs> about it to enjoy it as much as you do. Yeah, I, I think one one thing I particularly loved about it that makes it very strong for me and probably for a subset of listeners is that, you know, we, I, I grew up in a very, you know, religious uh, household uh, religious background, and it's very rare that a movie addresses faith in a in a wise, even-handed way. Like there are the ridiculous pro-faith movies, like, you know, God's Not Dead or something, that are just like, of course, just terrible train wrecks of a film. But then <laughs> the other ones that try to address it almost always are going the other way, where they're strictly making fun of it. They're strictly satirizing, like, oh, you know, blah blah blah. There, there is no God, you fools, with your guy in the sky look at all the damage this is doing and and this movie had this kind of like very wise sensitivity to examine the negative effects of faith and the trust that people can put in put in the church and how that's rightly been degraded after various scandals and stuff but also the the genuine goodness of intent that can come with it and like the warmth of community and the feeling of being this uh person in a kind of you know postmodern age where you know Nietzsche said that God is dead and society is starting to flow in that direction a little bit more but then kind of this lone person who's stuck at the the impasse of that something about that I mean I know we talked about Don John before there was like a scene in that movie where he is in confession and the priest says something kind of interesting about like how all sins are the same. And the the priest does something that basically feels extremely cheap in the moment of the film. And Chris and I were both wishing that the movie had unpacked that a little more. Uh, And in my mind, this movie is all about unpacking that. It's just, I I don't know. I don't know exactly how it would linger to someone with a different background, but if you're looking for a movie that gets so many things right about faith without, without pandering to anything, (laughs) like being a holy r-rated very serious film uh this was just like fit the bill perfectly yeah carson 
I mean, yeah, I would definitely agree in in the sense that it's a a wise movie, uh, and that it's also very funny while also being very dark. Um, and it's kind of sad that a movie like this, uh, which I mean, I'm not exactly the most I'm not the most religious person and wasn't raised that way, but um, you know, hearing Stephen talk about it and seeing that it obviously does have a much uh you know it's closer in tune than something like god's not dead or these movies that are like directly going toward it but like if you were to sit someone down who supports like that kind of movie or it is like strictly religious i think they would totally disregard calvary because it is like an r-rated film and there's yeah they would of, hate it for sure yeah they would <laughs> all they would all they would see was just like oh there's f-bombs and violence and blah 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 um you know the guy put a cigarette out, out in the heart i mean damn <laughs> there's not i mean they they couldn't look past it they couldn't look past all the other stuff um which is kind of sad like that you need basically to just be this rote movie with cast members from duck dynasty in order for them to pay attention i guess uh i don't know but uh <laughs> calvary is uh i, I just all I know is that there are people from Duck Dynasty and God's Not Dead, and that movie made a lot of money. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think that uh, I, I would say that's kind of sad. But I think, you know, whatever. The John Michael McDonough knows how to write movies, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what he does next. Because, like, I feel like John Michael is a little more... Uh, he gets a little like deeper you know but like martin mcdonough is more just like i want to you know i'm having a good time like you yeah. know it, it kind of seems like that way yeah like Not martin mcdonough that, is more intense and kind of yeah bigger explosion but i feel like because uh, I, I feel like they have a similar style but that's what like they there's yeah definitely it's just one is distinct, more brash and the other yeah. is more slow lingering right and yeah but a lot lots of dark dark humor present in both both their movies or all their movies i guess uh number two my number two so this brings us to the top of my films that just plop down into that middle middle zone for this um it's a film that uh i enjoyed a lot i just recently re-watched it um it's it's a film that is, uh, it's got, you know, some great performances, uh, at least one great performance from a person who I would have never expected a great performance from. It uh, has some suspense in it. It's got, uh, not necessarily action, but it, you know, it's a thriller of sorts. It's very stylistically made, and uh, it's a film that I enjoyed a lot, and that is Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. My number two, Gone Girl. Um you know, I didn't read the book or anything like that, but uh, I watched the movie and I enjoyed it a lot. It's a film that uh, has some really crazy stuff that I didn't expect from it. Um, it's it's a film that covers a lot of information but doesn't feel long. It uh, goes by pretty quickly. It's extremely entertaining. And uh, it's a film that I like. I don't have anything specific to like praise it for. It's just a film that I walked out of, enjoyed it a lot. I've talked to a lot of people who at, at first I thought maybe wouldn't enjoy it and they all liked it. And it's like, what, what P- other people are liking this too. Um, and uh, yeah, so Gone Girl, number two. You guys can either support me or tell me I'm crazy. I completely support that <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> choice. Obviously Gone Girl was a great film. 
Uh, definitely one of the best of the year. Um, I think it was also, like Calvary, a very funny movie and dark. <laughs> like, I, I think it was, it had a good sense of dark humor. I, I mean, I thought it was funny. I mean, it had some funny parts in it, but I and, wouldn't necessarily call it, like, funny. No, I mean, it's not a laugh-out-loud comedy, but, I mean, it does have some humor in it, I thought. Yeah, I mean, I would I would mostly support that. This, it It is not high up in that sense for me not not because of any flaw in it but only because it's it's hard to say because in any given year this would have felt like an extremely ambitious original movie and just this year somehow there were so many kind of small ones that packed a wallop that a movie like Gone Girl kind of got a little bit lower billing for me as being extremely well done in its genre and making me think and making audiences think and sparking conversation but just not not quite having like the oomph factor that would make me really go to bat for it. But I mean, like great movie. We all we all loved it when we reviewed it. We all had you know solid things to say. Cool, cool plot explains it well to someone who hasn't read the book. Uh, Michelle Obama didn't like it apparently, but <laughs> <laughs> and Barack did like Boyhood. So there you go. <laughs> well, I know well, she yeah. said something like it wasn't as good as the book. It's like all right, Roger Ebert. <laughs> um, but yeah like so like for me like the, these last three i think i think in a year where i'm missing the, the chrissiest of chris type movies like the other side of me latched on really heavily to these last three just because um yeah it's just an intense movie that's well acted and uh yeah I, I i i felt weird with these i mean obviously I liked them a lot, but I felt weird just like smashing Whiplash, Nightcrawler, Gone Girl, like right there in the middle of my top five. But I, I guess I feel better that I'm not completely crazy. No, I mean, they're, they're all great movies, <laughs> all, all of which get mentions in my list in some form. Oh, cool. yeah. I mean, for sure. And I'm glad that Gone Girl was a hit. Like it was a commercial success, which is somewhat surprising, I guess, but not totally. But uh, I mean, it, it was sort of just like, Fincher did a really somewhat artsy, really amazing version of a Lifetime movie. So, but, uh, I'm no, I'm, I'm just, I'm glad it was successful because there is some stuff in there where you're like, oh, I don't think that, you know, Joe Blow moviegoer would react to this very well, especially the ending. I don't know if you guys thought that, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was, it was very provocative in almost a, if not made so well, would have felt like kind of a tabloid type, like cheap, not not slasher exactly, but you know what I mean. It had like a very, uh, very huge plot twists and a extremely well formed kind of monstrous character surfacing. Uh, yeah, but it it was just grounded by like great direction by Fincher, great acting by everyone, uh, and I think that's what propelled it to be very good to me, while not quite reaching the heights of greatness that would make me make me really 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 support it yeah and i think it's one of those films too where like at any given point if you checked in with me i would i would be like oh no it, you know, it's good it's a good movie i'm enjoying it but i think like the work as a whole once all the pieces are there and the way it leaves you at the end makes it like uh like completely it just it just feels like a great overall work yeah all right. Well, uh, now, now that I'm done with my number two, now we can get to the main event, our number ones of the year. Carson, why don't you start us off? 
what is your number one? <laughs> well, um, I have a feeling this will be not a, not a controversial choice, but maybe a choice that's definitely going to turn some heads. But uh, uh, obviously, I mentioned that my if I did a traditional list, my number one movie would be Whiplash. But uh, the movie that I just like enjoyed purely, like I came out of the theater with like a great high and uh you know had a very joyous experience um and it would definitely be in my top five is chris rock's top five and that's not a joke um <laughs> wow i think i think that uh in some ways this movie out birdman's birdman uh it's definitely chris rock's sort of take on birdman like you know it's like they have very similar themes uh in the sense that you know He's a comedian trying to get back into the spotlight, and he doesn't know if he can do it. Uh, but it, it's almost like his spin on uh, like a Woody Allen movie or like a before movie, because a lot of it is just Chris Rock and Rosario Dawson walking around New York City, uh, having conversations and visiting people. Uh, and it all takes place over the course of one day. And... Uh, the writing is really exceptional in this film. Like, I, I think that Chris Rock has always been really funny and I think he's been, he's always talented, but you know, he, he's sort of like the guy that doesn't like, they don't know what to do with him in movies. Like he's always like in a funny movie, but it's not funny usually. Uh, and I, and I feel like that anytime you see him like in an interview or something, you're like, man, Chris Rock is so funny, but then like he'll be in a movie and it's just like not funny at all. Like polka dot afros. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I like the grown ups or something like that. Uh, I think this movie really showcases his ability as, you know, not only a comedic actor, but like a, a, a writer and a director, too. Like, I, I think that this movie has just a lot of great characters and great character moments. And it's really funny. Like, I, I laughed all the way through it. Um, I feel like there's a lot of relatable themes and a lot of like very uh, like a lot of good satire, like a lot of uh, in in the same way that Birdman, you know, had. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of satire in terms of like a lot of a lot of riffs at Tyler Perry, which I thought were really funny. Tyler Perry movies, uh, <laughs> and, and they they all like they all like fit into this this movie or this world that Chris Rock has created. And it doesn't feel like Birdman. It doesn't feel like it's forced or, or like knowing or anything like, Oh, look at, we're making fun of this or something. Uh, it's all very natural. Um, I think, uh, you know, he did that movie with Julie Delphi two days in New York, the sequel. Uh, and I feel like that, you know, he maybe like, this was like, Oh, like I want to do a movie like this. Like it feels very much like that. Uh, like I said, like a like a like a before movie, like people just like walk around talking. Uh, I think it's done really well, and I think that it kind of like I know it. It Toronto it was like huge, like it it got a huge response, and obviously, uh, it got picked up by Paramount for a lot of money, but um, it didn't really like hit with audiences the way that like people were expecting it. I guess out of Toronto, but uh, I thought it lived up to the hype. Like it's. It's extremely well made. It's very, very funny, and it's got a lot of heart. Um, 
so yeah, top five I think is definitely a movie that again undervalued. I think I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic movie. Yeah, yeah and I, oh, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just gonna say now you've done the clean sweep where you have done all movies that I have not yet seen, most of which are on my list as things I really wanted to get to before making my list. Um, yeah, top top five is a movie where the the trailers much more so than Birdman even made me be like ah. I do not want to see this movie. Like, it, it was built kind of in the conventional big comedy way, big, like, oh, here... Maybe maybe I'm just so, like, hardened after all of these, like, Chris Rock, Kevin Hart type... These movies that, like, promise something big and then wind up just being, like, a bunch of zany antics without a whole lot to yeah. say. Um, but, yeah, I was extremely surprised at the, the outpouring of support that this movie has gotten... Uh, partly for being about kind of social issues, but then also like a ton of people have really been promoting it in a way that made it, it popped on my radar in a way where I really, really, really wanted to get a chance to watch it. And I kind of questioned that thinking, oh, maybe it's all just hype, but now topping your list, I mean, I definitely need to give it a shot. I mean, the trailer I do think uh, makes it, paints it as like a conventional comedy in a way um but i think it's definitely more on the dramatic side uh it has it totally has that tone of like a link later before movie or like two days in new york um where it's mostly dramatic but really funny um you know it, it sort of veers toward more toward the dramatic side um but it's 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 a ruthless movie too like it is not like some sugar-coated film like Chris Rock is very honest in it and um I think it's another movie that uses uh music really well too so anyway yeah it's uh you know when I when I saw the trailers it feels very much just like one of those hey let's get a bunch of comic voices together and make a movie not like I have this message that I want to communicate or I want to um, do something very specific with this film so it kind of it definitely wasn't on my radar even in the slightest and uh, when you guys started talking about a lot of people saying it was great I was kind of like really I just don't buy that but uh, I guess I'll have to give it a shot I, I would be very surprised if you guys didn't like it and I know you know uh, I know like you know obviously we all know what he, what what we like, you know, and I, I definitely think that I would be very surprised if you guys didn't think that it was a good film. Like, I, I think that, uh, you know, the the thing that really surprised me was the honesty. Like, I think that's a, a big refreshing part of it is that it's just a movie that it has such energy in it. It's like a jolt of energy and it's refreshing to see characters talk you know, in politically incorrect ways and say things that are politically incorrect. I mean, it just feels, you know, more like real life and not just we're in a movie. And I think that, again, that lends to his, like, him wanting to do, like, a take on, like, that Woody Allen, uh, Richard Linklater kind of film. Like, I think that 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 really is the best way to describe it. But, uh, yeah. All right, now, Stephen, you want to go on to your number one? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. And now this is solidifying that I am channeling my inner Carson. It, it probably, 
I'm, I'm guessing you guys can figure out what it is by now, but maybe not actually. Um, my number one is a movie called Whiplash, uh, which, uh-huh. yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, so Chris, you mentioned kind of sandwiching it with, uh, with Nightcrawler and Gone Girl in terms of these movies that are just like exceptionally well-made that you tell everyone to watch, but you aren't necessarily like personally charmed by it to the extent where you love the fact that you can champion it, <laughs> that you can champion it. And I definitely feel that for Gone Girl and Nightcrawler, you'll, you guys are actually going to hear why when I get to my later later uh, numbers on the list. But Whiplash to me was not that at all. It was such a, it was just, it, it was like small in a way. It was extremely claustrophobic, but there was no even close second place in terms of my reaction to it. Uh, I, I mean, upon leaving the theater, I was just floored. I, I, I was shaken. I... I felt a little bit of post-traumatic stress almost for like the days when I used to perform in recitals. And even with the most like loving, coddling kind of teacher in the world, you still have that anxiety about doing everything right and doing things precise. And the, this movie had, it was such a quote Coke movie to, to uh, use Carson's <laughs> terminology, but, but it wasn't definitely, a Coke. It definitely had a lot of energy, <laughs> but, but it was not a zany Coke movie. This was a, pinpoint narrow focused coke movie that just it took an idea and it it went with it so 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 deeply and intensely and the the climax of this movie is one of the most simultaneously joyous and terrifying things i've seen in theaters this year like it was so exhilarating the the way the music builds and the crescendo of it uh, J.K. Simmons, I think, deserves to beat out. Uh, I, I know he's probably going to be seen as supporting. I feel like he deserves to beat Michael Keaton and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, who both were also fantastic. Uh, but J.K. Simmons, there was no character like him this year for me who just commanded attention from the beginning of the film, barks orders, says things that you shouldn't be able to get away with and still be seen as a realistic character, like almost comic booky levels of evil but makes you believe them and makes you fear him and makes you see like Miles Teller really, really emotes well that that clash of wanting to be happy and wanting to be successful and how obsessiveness can get to your head and just everything, everything about this movie. It was such a whirlwind tight movie. I felt like there was no scene that really needed to be cut, nothing extra, uh, extraneous. And I honestly can't think of a person who shouldn't see it. So my number one with a bullet, like there was no close contenders for this. I mean, I think you could make the argument that Whiplash is the best thriller of 2014 because oh, it's easily. a it's a thrilling movie. Like it's a like heart racing, adrenaline pumping, like all of the stupid hyperbolic things that people will put on posters to get you to be like, oh, this sounds good. You know, like it it totally earns all of that. And, uh, yeah, definitely the best ending of the year by far. And and the thing, the thing is there are, there are parts of it which seem hyperbolic, like kind of violent, abusive, big movie moments, sort of, it it veers a little bit into those, but by far the most punch that it packs is not at all about the like outlandish movie things. It's really just the the fear of being alone with an instrument and an instructor and something about that like resonated with me so much that 
he he could have been a superhero and flown away at the end and i wouldn't have cared like <laughs> like, like they they nailed that feeling so much that I couldn't care less about the believability of some of the like more extraneous plot points or things in his arc that happens where you're like, okay, J.K. Simmons wouldn't be that bad. Like, there's no way a human could get away with it. Screw it. Like, I, I didn't even care. I I love this movie way too much to c- criticize it validly. Uh, but even even you know J.K. Simmons is getting all the attention. I feel like acting wise, which is extremely well deserved. But I think. Miles Teller also is up to the same level. Like, I feel like that whole ending scene not only was mind-blowing to watch, but just, like, the fact that he's actually playing the drums in the scene is, like, mind-blowing on a whole different level. It's like he learned that. Like, not only was he acting, like, he was playing, you know, this crazy, you know, music and stuff. Like, that really was impressive to me. His his commitment to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I believe he actually had J.K. Simmons throwing actual symbols at his head <laughs> before they started filming, so they could Probably. try to get him to to learn it. It's like this um, is method. No, obviously, I had this as my number four. Um, I agree with everything Stephen said. I, I I feel like so personally, I am very scared of psychotic people and uh, not knowing what a person can do next, or knowing that at any moment somebody could do something. Uh, just is it psychologically unhinges me a little bit. Um, and that's pretty much the only reason why not Nightcrawler and Gone Girl like got bumped above Whiplash. And the, the, the other real thing is for me, like everything Steven said is correct. Like the, this, the pure watching of this film elevated it above everything except for my number one this year. Um, but there's some sense to me where it almost feels like this is a dream where it it like the events can't un like i don't like it, it, there's crazy stuff happening in nightcrawler and gone girl but for some reason in this film like it feels like metaphor for the experiences of what the characters are going through um just because it feels too heightened and too surreal in a way um for uh for it for me to take it a hundred percent honestly like the emotion 100 percent honest the triumph of the characters and 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 you know the loss and the sadness and the joy all that stuff feels 100 percent authentic but like on paper the plot beats feel like as, as you said steven sort of movie moments in, mm-hmm. a, in a way and there is some sense to the climax of this film is him becoming a superhero and flying away like i feel like the ending to to <laughs> birdman and the ending to this are very similar um and I, I completely love the ending to Whiplash, and I think it's amazing, and that's that's solidified it as as the film ended, like, this is a brilliant piece of work. But there, there's still some weird sort of disconnect on my experience of the film, my uh, understanding of the authenticity of the emotion in it, and then the things that I'm actually seeing as being 100% real there's like a tiny disconnect there for me, which is the only reason it got bumped down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and I can totally buy that. I mean, it it is an extremely heightened movie. That like that's a good way to describe it. It something about it. The moment it ended, I knew like unless a miracle happens, this is going to be my number one movie. <laughs> like I, I knew the moment it ended. Holy shit! Nothing else comes close. And and part of that is because of the heightened intensity and. And my ranking here as the way things grabbed me the first time around, maybe more than like 
somberly reflecting on whether it stands the test of time and blah, blah, blah. And the, the heightened aspect is what made it work for me while simultaneously making me see why people might have some issues with it or see it a little bit more juvenile isn't the right word, but see it a little bit more as the like the little movie that's punching really, really, really hard rather than the masterful piece of work that you would get out of like a slow burning, burning thriller. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, totally understand where you're coming from. Which which is actually an interesting way um, for you to describe your number one, because my number one is, um, it's also a film that um, when I finished watching it, I was pretty certain it would be my number one by the end of the year. Uh, Even I, though I know... it was January when you saw it. No, sorry, <laughs> <Come on. laughs> um, I'm trying to think of like the worst movie that came out in January, so I could be like, "How did you guess it was this?" But I, <laughs> how did you guess it was Paranormal Activity, the marked ones? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, but in all seriousness, like when, when I finished the film, I, I was like, "This is pr- probably going to be like I I couldn't imagine anything being more Chris this year." And uh, finding something by the end of the year that would supplant it. When I when I sat down to make my list, I basically threw this at number one and then said, okay, let's make our list now. Um, and uh, it's a film that I know for a fact that, uh, that some people in the world may have had a problem with the ending of. Uh, but, but even... I, I genuinely love the ending as it is, so that, that can't be a downfall for me. It's a great imaginative story. I think it says a lot about uh, people and people's relationships. And uh, it's just a film that... Uh, it, it's, it is the film that I loved the most this year. And do you guys know what that is? Oh, I, oh I'm changing, yeah, I'm changing sure. my mind. <clears throat> 100% sure I know what it is. I, I was going to go to bat for the Lego movie, but now I'm going to say it's the one I love. It was yes. that what you were going to say also, Carson? Yes. It is the one I love. Um, I, I've been saying this whole time that there is there weren't a lot of Chris movies this year. And this is definitely by sure, by sure, by far, the surest Chris film that came out. Um, my, my only complaint, I think I said this in our review that we did, my only complaint about the film at all is that Carson suggested it and that I didn't discover it on my own because that was the if I would have like just found this randomly and watched it uh it would have had even it would like had even more of that person like oh my god I found this little gem um but Carson was like yeah you should probably check this out it seems like a pretty Chris movie (laughs) sometimes I actually can suggest good movies believe it or not um I never steer anyone wrong yeah, well, if, if you if you are listening right now and you listen to our review, review of the film, you know that we basically said nothing about it. We spent like five minutes saying it was great and then uh, jumped into spoilers. So I don't really want to say a lot about why this film is great, but if you haven't seen it, you should go check it out. It's available online or whatever because even when I saw it, it was VOD'd. So yeah, I, I just... It, it is... It, to me, it's an amazing film. Um, has a lot. It, it, it's it's one. It, it's one of the few experiences where I started watching the film not knowing anything about it, and uh, it, it 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 does a great job of you are cluing into stuff as characters are cluing into stuff, and you kind of you just yeah, <laughs> the one I love. <laughs> I, I mean, I I. I... Again, it, it was one of the, the rare movies that I saw without uh, seeing a trailer or knowing anything. Um, I think the only thing I knew was that 
Mark Duplass and Elizabeth Moss were in it, and it was a romantic drama, or there was some sort of, you know, relationship drama element to it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, uh, definitely, definitely is a unique and surprising film. And, uh, you know, it's a movie that out of all these obligatory end of the year, like movies you may have missed, underrated movies, whatever, uh, one I love was actually absent from a lot of those lists, I felt, which I thought it should be on there. Um, at least, you know, in the sense that, uh, you know, like I said before the show like a lot of the lists i was reading i was like these are pretty like well-known movies and i know that the one i love got a lot of attention at sundance and probably is known by most people who you know would be on the online movie community and stuff but like i i don't know like i felt like that at least deserved to be on the movies you probably missed list yeah for sure yeah yeah so i'm i'm fully on board i i actually should have predicted this i i thought your heartstrings were going to be tugged so much that like the lego movie would have to win out in the end when i saw that it didn't make five four three two one i was like okay chris chris is channeling his little his little child and what's funny is almost everything you said building up to it could have been the lego movie yeah no for sure it could have i mean it was only at the very end when you made that little like one i loved pun (laughs) that i really got it um you're like oh crap yeah i I mean this is just a like it's a really great movie it's a movie that again i will be giving a shout out to though it is not making the kind of top billing that that you're giving it for me i i think in terms of premise and the ability to evoke conversation and make me think this movie was wonderful and one that i would love to champion because it it is a small one it's one by a but was this uh charlie mcdowell is that his name was this his first film uh yeah i think so yeah i mean like just a hugely ambitious first movie it has a great concept it has this kind of magical quirky vibe which is very much in line with like charlie kaufman and things that i i really love um the acting is good though i didn't think i I didn't find the characters to be completely engaging and propelling it forward but just hinging on the premise alone it was one that like absolutely deserves a shout out and it was so playful this is one that i enjoy thinking about and remembering more than i think i would enjoy watching again um, yeah if that and, makes and, sense. I, and i think too with like what, what you just said about the characters not necessarily being 100 percent engaged in the entire time I, I i don't even disagree with that but i think that the construct of what is happening in the film um is enough to think about that anytime the characters themselves start to uh either meander or just like uh cease to be 100 percent engaging there's enough to engage in that you don't even like it's not like oh this movie just took a turn for like slow town or whatever it's like you're like i can't even think about the characters right now because i'm thinking about this aspect of it and then all of a sudden you're thinking about the characters again and it's kind of like it's it's a series of back and forth between um the characters how they're responding to things and then like how you are interpreting their responses to things and stuff like that yeah, and hey, Mark Duplass gonna get number one on Chris's lists every year. He has a movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> True, but no, I mean, I, I I totally agree. I when I watched this movie, uh, I was so enjoyed. Like I I was so happy after I saw it because it was so inventive and gave you a lot to think about. I was recommending it to everyone. Um, 
the the only thing as i said that makes me temper that is that i think my recommendation is more in terms of the concept than the execution and it i i'm interested in seeing if more people do check this out how it kind of holds up and whether it becomes one of those movies that you you really want to revisit or if it's one where kind of like how i feel about uh human nature like one of charlie kaufman's lesser films the premise is also like, by directed by michelle gondry yeah also michelle gondry. Yeah. like the the premise is one that you really really go to bat for but maybe the experience of watching it is not not something that completely thrilled me but definitely a great choice i'm happy that it got mentioned you might be pissed off with the way in which i mention it later <laughs> uh-oh <laughs> <laughs> the, the things I lump it with when I cheat with my six through ten. All right. So. I had no doubt in my mind that this would be covered by Chris after we reviewed it, and it was just like, "Well, guys, spoilers for end of the year recap. <laughs> this is my number one movie." <laughs> I was like, "I'm pretty sure that's still gonna, you know, not gonna change." Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't not do it, and I have watched it, rewatched it since with other people, and the only. The only uh, the only thing you could even relate to a diminished experience was the like constant wondering if the people I was watching with cared about it as much as I did. <laughs> no, that, that's actually a really good point. And I think that is part of what makes me a little hesitant is after recommending it so much, if I imagine sitting in a theater with them watching it, I imagine like nervously looking at them all the time and like kind of feeling the weight of every lull in the not really lull but you know the meander in the in the dialogue and yeah. I think I, I would feel that weight so much more heavily if I were burdened with having proclaimed it as something absolutely amazing yeah so I like, chickened out did, did you like it and they're like yeah she's like oh god oh, you sound okay. relief <laughs> <laughs> um all right well uh the next uh, that that was our top fives for 2014 um but we are going to kind of briefly go over through our six through tens and i guess some of us have arranged these in sort of a quote-unquote awardee type thing for those films um i am running a little bit close on time um so if we could try to like briefly go do, do we just want to each go through our our six through ten uh in one shot yeah i, th- I think sure, maybe yeah. we power through six through ten if someone has something to say, then at the end of six through ten, they can throw out, you know, throw out something about it. All right, cool. So let's do that. Carson, start us off and run us through. I guess ten through six would be the better way to run it through. Oh, wait, so starting with ten. Ooh, I want to do six through ten. All right, just do six through ten. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. Um, so number six was uh, a a film called Mommy. Uh, it's a French Canadian movie. Uh, that was really great. Um. Seven, I had uh, uh, the trip to Italy, and uh, eight moved the movie Big Bad Wolves. Nine was uh, a really trippy film that got released in England last year, but Draft House released it in the U.S. this year, called A Field in England. And uh, ten was you know the Lego Movie got all the the love, which is deservedly so. But you know what? I'm going to champion a film that I was thought was really funny and you guys should definitely check it out because the amount of puns that we love to crack on this show, uh, I think you'll definitely appreciate the punnery in uh, the Penguins of Madagascar. So <laughs> there you go. Yikes. 
<laughs> oh boy. I, 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 I was throwing those out there just as another like, you know, same thing I kind of approached top five with. The movie top five or your top no, the, five? No, the actual top five, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, do, you have anything, do you have anything quick you wanted to say about any of those movies that people might not have heard of? Just say Mommy has the best music in the movie because like I was watching – Imagine like this like dry foreign movie or like a more, but uh, it's the the pretension is cut through by like uh, montages set to Counting Crows songs or something. Like it's a it's a very interesting film. Um, lots of energy from it. I feel like if it was made by someone else, it could be like that like pretentious art house movie. But the performances. And the uh, the sort of approach to it is very creative, um, and yeah. Also, I'll say that uh, Big Bad Wolves is another movie you should guys check out. It's basically like if Prisoners was a really dark comedy, and uh, it's from Israel. And it was Quentin Tarantino named it his top movie of last year, but it got a U.S. release this year. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a pretty interesting film. The the tone is uh definitely one to to uh to uh, admire because it is like a very very dark thriller, but it has like like big laugh out loud moments in it. So yeah. All right, Stephen, what is your 6 to 10? Yeah, Nobody's okay, so I know why I'm laughing because it's I... edited out, but whatever. Oh, no, you're supposed to leave it in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so my six through ten, I'm kind of gonna cheat here. You you can take it as a normal six through ten, wherein the the movie that I name, like as an ordered list, six, seven, eight, nine, ten would be great. But I'm also lumping them into awards and throwing out other movies that were runner ups that maybe didn't quite crack the list, but I I would have really like wanted to highlight. Um, so number six is the Dallas Buyers Club Award. Which so last year Dallas Buyers Club was my number one, and I kind of regretted that because while it was, it was a powerful film for me, led by like a strong leading man. It was also kind of traditional, kind of like didn't have the staying power, kind of a very Academy Awards type movie, um, and so for kind of very good movies that did nothing wrong, but I just felt like wouldn't linger that much. Uh, the winner is Nightcrawler easily, and runners up are Gone Girl and The Imitation Game. Um, the Annie Hall Award at number seven is for like a comfortable low stakes movie, which wasn't really daring, but was pitch perfect and very nice to watch. Uh, and the winner was a movie, Listen Up, Philip, uh, which actually is shouldn't be my style of movie because it has like no likable characters. <laughs> but there's something about the tone, the narration and the like very Woody Allen vibe that it channels and Elizabeth Moss being amazing. Like she's having a really, really good year. Um, yeah, so love I, that I... movie. I will interject and agree with that. I think Listen Up, Philip is uh, primarily an entertaining movie. It looks great and it has that Woody Allen vibe. Um, I-, I wish that the, I thought the first, the first act and the third act were great because it was all about Jason Schwartzman and in the middle kind of focused more on the other characters. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jason Schwartzman crushed it in that movie. He was um, so good. And, and he's it- hilarious. Every description of it, when a critic would talk about it, is like, oh, it's riotous and 
sharp <laughs> satire. It made me like want to never watch this movie. But what I what I got f- for all of its hateable characters, I got like a very warm movie somehow in the end. Like yeah, yeah. Like I cannot wait to rewatch this one with other people. Um, runners up for this category are Love Is Strange, which I was actually very skeptical of, but I saw it recently and I thought it was like a very, very, very nice movie. Not an eye roll worthy movie. Had really good shots of New York and uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Shout out to Magic in the Moonlight also, but wouldn't make this list. Um, I really, really dislike Love is Strange. I thought that was... I really liked it. I I, I would say that's like the most overrated movie of last year. So listen up, Philip had to beat it out. Like Love is Strange would not have made this list, but I was extraordinarily charmed by that movie. So, you know. I I was extraordinarily put to sleep. (laughs) Anyway, number... I might like it. Yeah. (laughs) I guess. I don't know. Number eight, the Whiplash Award that I'm calling it. Uh, So Whiplash would have gone here if it weren't clearly my number one. Are like pressure cooker films, which just packed like a huge punch, kind of blew me away. Uh, the winner was Starred Up, which really lingered for a long time, due almost solely to uh, Jack O'Connell's incredible performance. I mean, people are calling him a yeah. star for Unbroken, but this is just light years ahead of that. Um, runner Up is Blue Ruin, which was a film that I, I really enjoyed, actually. Uh, this kind of like a genre piece, a revenge fantasy thriller. Uh, it was a very unique movie, very small, but really, really packed a punch and definitely a cool, cool movie to check out. Um, I would, I, I like Blue Ruin too, um, but I kind of thought the the motivation for the revenge was a little, it wasn't as good as I hoped it would be, I guess. Sure, but, but uh, this is yeah. the guy who liked John Wick, so. <laughs> that, no, I, I know. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not discounting it. I'm just saying that, uh. I don't know. I think it's because uh, the guy who directed Blue Ruin made him f- his first movie, Murder Party, I think is like one of my favorite Halloween movies. Like that movie is just, I don't know. I think it was, it was almost like an eternal sunshine. I have to follow it up. You know what I mean? Huh. Like there was a high bar. Interesting. Um, but uh, no, Blue Ruin was, it was good though. I liked yeah, it. I, I thought it was an odd movie kind of because the motivations are so bleak and hard to follow, but it just had this like great dark sensibility and really like a, a cool look at, I assume it was the South. Like it, it had this kind of, yeah. Some of the things I enjoyed oh, about sure. mud were in this <laughs> there movie was some too. redneckery going on. I, th- yeah. I feel so awesome movie on Netflix. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, number nine is the, Hey, Steven isn't as snobby as that reviewer said. Sometimes he names big mainstream movies too. Um, <laughs> awards. <laughs> and that in case the name didn't make sense is big budget films, which, while being kind of like traditional and not necessarily wowing me in the same way as these other ones, showed like endless creativity and really, really deserved to be classics. Uh, the winner is actually The Edge of Tomorrow, uh, which nice. I really loved that movie. I thought as a sci-fi, it was one of the more inventive ones I've seen in a long time and really like a return to form for Tom Cruise. Uh, packed all the fun of like Groundhog Day <laughs> mixed with crazy cool action movie and like a, a cleverness and a humor to it like so easy to love uh, runners up being lego movie guardians of the galaxy big hero 6 and 22 jump street which all all were great kind of big big budget movies that came out this year that did very well and i'm very happy that they did well like they deserve all the love that they're getting um and number 10 is my charlie kaufman award which are movies that kind of hinge on an original premise, which provokes so much conversation 
that how they're executed hardly even matters to me, but of course they are executed well in the end. And so the one I love is in this category, but what will make Chris probably hate me is the winner is actually Force Majeure. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> with, which is a movie that I saw last night, and I loved this movie. My girlfriend and I saw it together, and it, it provoked so much conversation, and I thought it really, it did everything that The Loneliest Planet was trying to do, but it did it with a sense of fun and not like a a slog mentality. I, I thought the visuals of it were just really really good i love the avalanche uh moments when like snow is falling and just focusing on snow and a character off in the distance kind of in almost like a cgi type white haze uh re- really like this for its ability to spark conversation understandably people might find it a little stilted or droll but i i was completely charmed by it uh, so you texted me yesterday about th- about force majeure i did not think it would show up in a charlie kaufman esque award so my name for the award is not yeah i I know what you're saying because like it definitely is a conversation starter Mm -hmm. kind of movie but uh so i'm assuming chris you didn't like this movie i did not okay Um, i i I agree with steven that it does loneliest planet stuff better than loneliest planet does but i think the film is not cohesive at all and then i i don't think it makes enough statements in line with the other statements it's making to make me feel complete by the end. I am going to take the Stephen Miller route on this and go in the middle uh, and say that I agree with both of what you're saying. I don't think it was as good as people were touting it as, but uh, I I liked the... I liked some of the themes of it, for sure, but uh, when it was all said and done, it was kind of not as you know, impactful as I thought it would be. I did yeah. like The Loneliest Planet more, but uh, I, I would go, I would say like I'm I'm taking the Steven route because I'm going to be the middleman on this one. Yeah, and I, I will say traditionally maybe the one I love would have made this award, but I knew that that was definitely getting love already and I wanted to, wanted to tout this because it was like a critical favorite that I was dreading <laughs> like because every description of it was just like, oh, Jesus, a, a takedown of the bourgeoisie. Oh, ooh, so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I laughed a lot at this movie and I, I actually really enjoyed it. So it, maybe it, someone it, else will available on VOD. Well, a lot of people enjoyed it. I mean, I, it's definitely been making a lot of lists and stuff. And uh, I don't know. I didn't it didn't live up, in my opinion, to that. And I will say that the 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 actual uh, loneliest planet style stuff that happens in the film and the way the couple primarily interact and talk about stuff i thought that aspect of it was great um i think there's some hilarious uh albeit possibly unintentional moments where uh, his buddy is trying to rationalize for him uh that that didn't really work for me as far as like being meaningful and uh, there's a lot of scenes that I feel are, they, they're not adding to anything. It's just like, yeah, we might as well show scenes of being on a ski resort because we're on a ski resort. There's a lot of stuff that I don't understand why it needs to be there. Like this could have been uh, a, a really impactful short film that just deals with the conversation that the couple have as opposed to like all the other stuff and i don't know i I just feel like as a whole the the film didn't work for me but moments of it did and i do like that and uh yeah so that that's what i'll say and now i'm gonna cheat and shoehorn in some extras so those were my six through ten were 
Nightcrawler, Listen Up Philip, Startup, Edge of Tomorrow, and Force Majeure. Um, so the Act of Killing Award, which basically documentaries, I don't know how to compare them to mainstream movies. Like, it's not fair because they get to be more important sometimes and the fact that they're true, like, it's just hard for me to rank them side by side. But these movies all I thought could have stacked up against the best of them. I mean, they really stuck with me. So I'm not even going to have a winner and uh, runners up. Uh, the Missing Picture was a movie about the... Uh, the Cambodian genocide, so a sad, sad topic. But it hinges on this this guy recreating it with little clay figurines. And it has this kind of like fantastical sense of wonder. And every time there's a sad thing that happens, he he brings it back with like a a really nice kind of fantasy scene, a good sentiment, like really heartstring tugging movie. I I love the crap out of it. Uh Hodorowsky's Dune, I thought, was by far the most fun documentary I saw this year. Like yeah, insane, absurd, absurd premise, which is true, <laughs> which Hodorowsky, who made like El Topo and these, you know, kind of crazy movies was trying to do a big, big budget sci-fi flick. And, you know, it didn't ever get made. But what he was trying to do and the people he got involved were just like so much fun to watch and um, mistaken for strangers, which was a movie about the national, which got a little bit of love, but kind of went under the radar. Uh, which is like a band film, which really centers on like a brother dynamic uh, between the lead singer, who is, of course, very successful, uh, and the guy making the film who's kind of always in his shadow. Uh, and this documentary, the music is great, but it also just had a sort of sort of heart and the ending like really, really pulled, like got some emotions out of me that I wasn't expecting. That was a very sad movie. <laughs> I I was so happy by the end. I no, don't know. I mean it was it was like happy, sad. I I will agree it's very uh, an emotional documentary. Yeah. Uh, the classically Stephen Award indie flicks, which couldn't make my list, like I said in the beginning. But any other year, they probably should have been the kind the kind of thing I would have gone to bat for. Uh, the winner is Frank, actually, which is a movie I I really loved. I couldn't justify putting it up with the others, but. Like such a very particular quirky film, uh, runners up skeleton twins, an obvious child. Uh, both of those were just like, I really enjoyed them. They were totally my sensibility. Very like nice indie movies that people should check out. Not groundbreaking, but you know, extremely pleasant. And finally, movies I respected quite a bit more than I liked, which is the Tree of Life Award. Uh, the winner is Under the Skin, which crazy kind of art house visuals, very deep sociological themes a lot of things to unpack that it left like a kind of cold taste for me but i still it's something i want to watch again uh runner-up being only lovers left alive which had like very cool visuals a very cool idea again a premise that i want to explore again but not the most gripping film in the moment and that's all my awards cool um so my uh six through ten slash awards are uh, so number six this is my probably should have made the top five award and that goes to Boyhood um, for all the reasons that we've already talked about. Um, I think it's fantastic film, but I think that, um, I don't know, I can't separate myself from the nostalgia aspect of it. And it just it didn't have room maybe to fit it in, so it just didn't make it there. Um, my number seven is the I loved everything you did, but dot, dot, dot. I don't even have a reason why you're not in the top five, but that is Birdman. For the reasons we've already discussed, <laughs> uh, mo mo most of these are basically films that like I just didn't 
have room for whatever reason. Um, and then my number eight is the Highlander Award, which is the There Can Be Only One Award. And mm. uh, th- this is the one that Steven thought I was going to have up there. This is the Lego movie. Um, Lego movie did, like, there's, there's no universe in which the Lego movie should have worked at all. And it did to an amazing level. Has so much to say about, I don't know, There's I grew up playing with Legos and it did it justice in a way that was incredible. The stuff that happens at the end, um, the, the, you know, the, the, I, every, I don't want to spoil anything for this movie that's like a year old now, but uh, it's just a fantastic film. And I'm glad that a lot of people I've seen online are putting it in their top 10 list. So uh, it's on the list for me, but I just, big hero, uh, it just did something magical and I didn't want to put two kids movies in the top. So Lego movie fell to my Highlander award in the middle of my six or 10. My number nine, I am calling the uh, Taylor Swift award because basically I had a blank space and I wrote this film's name. It is the Babadook. Um, you know, it's, it's a great film. I don't, I don't know if I would necessarily stack it. Like I, it's not something that I could put in my top five, but it's a film that like when I finished watching it, I was like, holy crap, like, I love that movie. You know, the the ending gets a little zany for my taste, but uh, overall, I love everything it did, and, you know, it's a weird genre to stack up against, you know, most of the film. Like, a, a, a quote-unquote horror film wouldn't really necessarily make my top list any year, really, but uh, Babadook did some, did a little bit of magic that impressed me. And uh, if anybody wants to buy one of those books they're making in real life and send it to me, you know where to find me. <laughs> I would love you forever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the last, my number 10 is the We Never Got to Mention It Award, which is, uh, well, now by this episode, Stephen has already mentioned it, but Magic in the Moonlight uh, is a film that like I just, I loved and I thought it was very endearing. And it, I, I ended up seeing it like at a time where we were doing a bunch of stuff and I never even mentioned, I think, that I saw it. Um, but I, I, I love it. Like the film isn't necessarily perfect, but it's charming as hell. And by the end, um, Steve and I had a quick like mini text about it. Just like the there's a scene at the end where some characters are uh, just say like reiterating what another character's thinking back to them that I think are just magical and in the moonlight. I don't know. That's not even a pun, but there it's it's a film that I that I loved and it was very heartwarming. And um, yeah, I, I just if by chance you missed it, it might be worth a shot for you. So. I, I agree. I think it's just, it's charming. Good fluff. Yeah, I, I texted Chris right after I watched it, too. I, definitely good fluff. I, I think it feels a lot like one of those classic musicals, almost, like My Fair Lady or something, with all of the the heart and kind of simplicity that come with it. Uh, there is, like, one scene that really made that movie for me. Before and after, it was feeling a little too cute, and then there's just one kind of pivotal moment that made me see, like, okay, this is this is a good movie. It's a good way to describe it too. Like, if it, it, it does feel a little too cute, and then like when that moment happens, like it's like, oh, this entire thing was building to this, and this makes it all worth it. Like the 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 only thing you can really judge it on is is that moment. It kind of it's or I mean, you can judge it on whatever you want, but I feel that like that moment solidifies it as being worth that journey as opposed to just this cute adventure that you went on. Yeah. And I, real quick, I'm going to throw out 
couple more. Uh, just to piggyback off with Steven for best documentary, I watched a documentary uh, a couple days ago that I thought was really great called Art and Craft um, about this guy who is a savant, clearly, uh, and can just copy works of art like exactly the way that they are. And he dupes like a bunch of art museums and donates to them and they totally think it's like a real print um so it's all about him i think it'd be a really good double feature with tim's vermeer because hmm. it's all about uh, really smart people who are doing attempting art and stuff but uh yeah that was uh that i'm was really glad good. you glad you mentioned tim's vermeer by the way because it it wasn't like solid enough filmmaking to make a list for me but the premise and the thing that it explores i I, I really, really enjoyed that one. Yeah, the thing that it's documenting was pretty amazing. Yeah, like it was, yeah, just like what he did was pretty mind-blowing. Um, also, I think the MVP, uh, movie MVP, uh, and I think this is what Chris was alluding to when he said uh, best acting by someone he didn't realize or something, <laughs> uh, which was Tyler Perry in yes. Gone Girl. Yep. Uh, <laughs> definitely the MVP of the year. I feel like uh, I feel like Josh Brolin in, in Inherent Vice is a strong contender, but I Motel feel like Tyler, yeah, but I feel <laughs> like uh, Tyler Perry as Tanner Bolt was just like the coolest dude. Um, yeah, that's why he has a hundred thousand dollar retainer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I just just jokingly, but I will say, and only because I want to see this movie, but like James Franco as Dave Skylark in the interview was was pretty great. And uh, they should just remake The Judge, where Tyler Perry as Tanner Bolt has to defend uh, Dave Skylark. I think that would be pretty entertaining. (laughs) All right. Seth Rogen ran over someone with a tank. (laughs) (laughs) But um, also the the Don't don't Judge a Book by Its Cover Award. I think uh, one movie, you know, I I see a lot of bad movies, and this was definitely one I was like... Oh, this is going to be bad. Um, but uh, the Cameron Diaz movie, The Other Woman, totally entertaining. Really? I was com- wow. completely surprised. Um, I, sometimes you just want to see like a 90s S throwback with a bunch of women getting revenge on Jamie Lannister. <laughs> that was exactly <laughs> what I got. And and there, there's a pretty there's a pretty good uh, coke moment at the end with Jamie Lannister. Uh, I won't spoil it, but uh, I, it had me laughing very hard. Um, that was just a completely like B minus B movie. Totally, I was very surprised. So N- definitely not you know like a definitely not a best of the year, but uh, but for this type of award, sure. Cool. Well, uh, I'm gonna cut us off there because I have to get going, but. Let's go ahead and let everybody know where they can find us if they want to hear regular reviews. So, Carson, where can people find you? Uh, practicalcandy.wordpress.com. Steven? Uh, you can go to sdavidmiller.com, where I'm going to try to have some write-ups of this in a little more detail, too. So maybe check it out if you were interested in the movies I kind of flew by. And then, is that, that it? Yeah. You <laughs> <Okay. laughs> can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. Um, if you want to figure out when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning or like us at facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com. You can use the contact form on our site 
or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 760-575-4TSW. That's 760-575-4879. Uh, music for uh, this episode probably come from uh, that song we used for the trailer episode, The uh, mm. Warning by the Peacocks, which for long listeners of the show, you know that at one point in time, the show actually opened every episode with that song. So it's like a throwback to the old days. So thank you guys for joining me on this episode. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And for giving me the excuse to watch so many movies. This year, my flick chart total was 77, which probably you guys have me beat still. But for me, that is by far a personal record. And it's been fun. Very nice. And uh, we will be back very soon with normal reviews, as we said. And uh, hopefully you guys can uh, stick with us for the next year. It's been great. Uh, And uh, see you guys next episode. That's what you want to do.